0: So I was talking to the uh, elders this week about the sermon and I asked them if they hated anybody and they all said, no, we don't hate anybody. So I figured I shouldn't open this sermon with the question, do you have any enemies or do you hate somebody? Because you all say, no, I love everybody. I'm good. So is there someone you just don't really like? Are there maybe a group of people that you're not a huge fan of? Maybe there's a political pundit or two that you just, you know, you could, you could do without. Maybe there's someone you disagree with. And maybe that's someone's in your family. Oh gee. (laughs) Someone you sleep with. (laughs) He said it, not me. (laughs) Friends, the sermon's for all of us today, (laughs) I think we've established. Now I want to take I want you to just choose one of those people. One of those people and hold them in your mind for this, this sermon hold this person that you just don't get along with or you don't like or maybe they don't like you and hold them in your heart for this sermon because today in in our gospel reading jesus expands on the command to love our neighbors as we love ourselves by focusing in on loving our enemies and in doing so he reveals the gospel to us that apart from the person and work of jesus christ It is impossible to love our enemies. In our passage, Jesus continues this teaching on the kingdom of God. It's the manifesto of the way of the kingdom. This is the vision that Jesus casts for life under his rule. We heard about the Beatitudes last week and, and the blessing, the blessedness that comes from living the Beatitudes. And, and this week, Jesus paints a picture and, and, and teaches us about one major way that we live the kingdom of God out, or we're called to live the kingdom of God out. Now, in case you're struggling at this point to hold on to that person that I asked you to hold on to, or you need a little help, let's think about, who is my enemy? You know, Jesus had that, uh, the Pharisee say, who is my neighbor? You know, I'm sure someone wanted to come along. Well, who really is my enemy, after all? So, friends, there are a lot of, of examples from our Old Testament reading. For example, Joseph. We heard this end of the story of Joseph. We heard the good part of the story of Joseph. We didn't hear about Joseph getting, you know, thrown into a pit and his brothers plotting to murder him. And they're like, "No, we'll just sell him to the. We'll just sell him and get him off to Egypt." I think we can be pretty confident that at that moment, Joseph and his brothers were enemies. Can we agree on that? All right. So you can have a brother, you can have family that's an enemy. And frankly, in our culture, anybody that disagrees with you in the slightest seems to be an enemy. In our culture where our identity is wrapped up in in what we believe and and what we say and what we think, our enemy can be simply someone who just, we disagree with or who disagrees with us. And also, finally, those who hate us, Friends, as Christians, not just individuals, but as as a part of the body of Christ, as a part of of this communion of saints, there are enemies who who do persecute the church. We only need to look to our brothers in Africa and Asia to see that there are enemies who who revile us, who hate Christians. But this shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't scare us at the least, because Jesus said this was going to happen. Jesus said, actually, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you on account of the Son of Man. Persecution, being hated for the sake of Christ, is actually the norm for Christians. And in the text that we heard read, we saw that our enemy can be anyone who harms us, who abuses us, who, 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 who tries to take what we, is ours. How are we to live towards and in response to our enemy? So let's turn to our passage in Luke chapter 6, if you'd like to follow along, beginning in the 27th verse. We're only going to be looking at verses 27 through 36. Leave off on the issue of judgment for another week, another time. So there's three main sections to this chapter, or to these verses. Verses 27 through 30, we learn... And we're commanded to love our enemies. Now, this this love that Jesus describes is the word he uses in Greek is agape, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with agape love. It's, it's, it's not an emotion, it's not a feeling, it's not either even kinship or brother, it's not a friendship, it's it's active, selfless giving love. It is this love that, that Paul exhorts his congregation to in 1st Corinthians 13 now a lot of us have probably heard this wonderful chapter in weddings and while it's a beautiful passage in weddings and there's probably it's probably good because there's a fair amount of discord in marriage the original context of this is the discord of the church there were a lot of frenemies in Corinth if you might say and this is what Paul encouraged them with love is patient love is kind And love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude remember that person I asked you to remember, hold them in this passage, hold them in your mind it does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, love endures all things that person that sits in our mind imagine loving them with that kind of love. This is the kind of love that Jesus commands us to love our enemies with. And then verses 31 through 35, we probably come to, alongside maybe John 3.16, one of the most famous passages in just general culture from Scripture. It appears here, and in cha- Matthew chapter 7, we come to the golden ro- rule. And as you wish other, that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, this is a, an ethical statement that is a, approved and, and, and seen in many other religions. And, but Jesus is doing something different with this rule here. The rule makes sense and is actually kind of fun to think about in when there's an implicit guarantee of return. Oh, I'll scratch your back and you'll scratch mine. I'll treat you the way I want to be treated, and then you'll treat me the way I want to be treated. Well, this is great. It doesn't really work well. With enemies. And that is exactly Jesus' point. Jesus expands and blows away the community boundaries of those who are your friends and those who are enemies. And he says, treat your enemies the same way you treat your friends. And don't worry about return, don't worry about getting back what you were given. The golden rule is just a nice way to get along with people. It's a a revolt, it's a revolution against how we naturally act. And then in verse 36, we see what grounds this, this whole conversation, this whole command. It's grounded in God's character and his work. It's grounded in God being merciful. It's grounded in God's holy love. It's grounded in God making people making children of God, making sons of God through Jesus Christ. It's grounded in God. (coughs) Friends, in these verses we hear what God commands. Jesus casts a vision for the kingdom. We hear how we're called to behave. How do we respond to this law? How do we respond to this command? How do we respond to this vision of life? Well, oftentimes, we try to be good people. Oftentimes, we try to gum up some energy to try to love our enemies a little better, or at least our neighbors. And for instance, this is how our culture deals with, with moral ethical commands. You might, how I, how I sort of see where our culture is in this moment, uh, uh, this confusion, is, is a, a bouncing between legalism and relativism. It's like, A ball that's stuck in a wall that you throw and it just bounces back and forth. Be illegalistic, be relativistic, be illegalism, relativism. Let me illustrate this. You can imagine someone marching for the rights of children in Washington against abortion, but not having to say much about children of immigrants held in detention on the border. Or you could also imagine someone who's who's absolutely horrified by sexual abuse in Hollywood and, and the abuse in the Catholic Church and defend abortion and pornography in the same breath. We bounce between legalism and relativism. Legalism, relativism. And friends, this isn't just a a thing that non-Christians do. This is a thing we all do. This is something we're all doing. And what does this reveal about ourselves, this bouncing back and forth? Well, one, it reveals that we we all actually believe that there is a right and a wrong. It also reveals that we can't agree on what that right and wrong is. And it also reveals that we are all plainly and simply hypocrites who cannot live consistent lives. So, how do people in general try to deal with this confusion? Well, oftentimes, actually, people try to live the golden rule. They go back to this principle and say, okay, I'll do good for you if you do good for me. Well, this, is a, this rule is about as easy as keeping, you know, as uh, it's about as you know, effective as a New Year's resolution. <laughs> because the moment you don't get back what you want from the person you're trying to love so they love you the same way, you, you throw your hands up and say, this can't be the right thing. This can't be the right way to do it. Some people mix in the golden rule and throw karma in the mix. You know, they throw those together, you know, mix them up, and say, all right, let's see how this works. If you do good, good things will happen to you. If you do bad, bad things happen to you problem, my friends, with the slavery, and I say it very boldly, slavery of karma is that when bad things inexplicably happen to you, you're the only one responsible. That's slavery. And then there's the classic pull yourself up by your own bootstrap. So a progressive Catholic writer suggests (laughs) <laughs> that the, the best way to move forward in, in this situation is just try to love your enemies harder, double down, love them harder. But why? Well, we need a reason. Why should I? Well, he suggests that that it's good for our health, which actually is true. There's evidence that anxiety that's produced by hate, the, the rage, all of those things is good for your blood pressure. But if you're loving your enemies for yourself, you're not really loving your enemies the way that Christ calls us to love our enemies. It's for your own good, not for their good. None of these approaches really get to loving our enemies. If we're honest, all they really do is get us to the place of loving those who are like us. Loving those who, who will give back what we give. And that's exactly what Jesus says isn't enough. What benefit is that to you, he says. Jesus, in commanding us to love our enemies, reveals that our our problem is much deeper than just working harder, than karma and the golden rule. We are in an impossible situation. This all reminds me of, of the TV show The Good Place that I've referenced so many times. If you haven't watched it yet, it's not my fault. Go watch it. And in, this, in the latest season of, of this TV show, the main characters figure out that this tally system that decides if you get into the good place or the bad place is broken. Broken. The world is so complex and so messy that, that no matter how hard you try, you'll never get into the good place. Seriously, there's this, like, guy, in the ma- a character in, in the show who, who like, th- all the angels and demons are just like, wow, because he figured it out. He figured out the tally system. He was like, out of all the religions, out of all the faiths, out of all the spirituality, this guy got it. He's doing a perfect job. He lives his life as, 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 as lovingly as he can, as selflessly as he can, and he's still 5,000 points in the hole. He's going to go to the bad place. In fact, you discover that no one's been to the good place for like 500 years. Now this TV show argues that we can't do enough good because of the external circumstances. Good moral action is just too complex in our technologically connected society. Buying a tomato will send you to the bad place because is it organic? Was, this, was it fair trade? Who picked this? Are they getting a living wage? If the answer is no, those are like 50 points to the bad place. <laughs> living moral lives is complex, so they are right in saying that. But their analysis of the problem is still too superficial. Christianity says that things are far worse than that. Even if life were simpler, we still wouldn't be able to get into the good place on our own. Why? Friends, it's because we don't just do bad things. Our very human nature is corrupted and broken by sin. Friends, we aren't just a a tire with a nail in it. We're a shredded tire lying on the side of the road in a burning car accident. We aren't just a boat that needs a yearly cleaning and dry dock. We're we're like the RMS Roan that sunk off Salt Island in the British Virgin Islands trying to escape a hurricane because of the pride of the captain. We are damaged, broken, and sunk. We don't just choose to sin or not to sin. Our whole life is saturated in sin. Put bluntly, no one is a good person. The command to love our enemies reveals the depths of our sin. And friends, this is really good news. It might sound bad. It might sound, oh man, is this really the condition? It's good news because it's reality and we get clarity about where we really are apart from Christ. We might be able to love our friends, but that is not what Jesus commands. Loving our enemies, loving ISIS, loving white supremacists, loving bigots, loving liberals, loving conservatives, loving Obama, loving Trump, loving the ACLU, loving Hutu and Tutsi, loving Magna, Maga and Antifa. Well, that is simply beyond the pale if that is the standard of the kingdom and friends it is we are all undone so what can be done we can't keep this commandment on our own it's impossible so if we are going to live in the way of the kingdom king and his king kingdom we need help from the outside and actually friends help is simply too small a word To describe what we need. We need to be resurrected. We need to be recreated from the inside out. We need the king not to just tell us how to love our enemies or that we should love our enemies, but to give us love for our enemies. We need our hearts turned from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. We need salvation. And friends, there is salvation for the good king does give what we need he gives us what he commands and he gives us the desire to do what he commands how you might ask well friends unlike us jesus loved his enemies perfectly perfectly so much so that he went to the point of dying for his enemies so that they could have life with him and friends let us be clear we are all in that basket. We are all the ungodly. We are all his enemies apart from Jesus. He came to die for us all. Friends, from before the creation of the world, God is love. Infinitely holy and giving love. He created the world out of that love and when humanity rebelled against him, he didn't throw his hands up and say, well, good luck guys. He's his love did not fade. As C.S. Lewis puts it, though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It is not wearied by our sin or our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we shall be cured of those sins at whatever cost to us and whatever cost to him. So the Son of God became human, in order to rescue his enemies, and at what great a cost, friends. Because Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, the life of perfect love and obedience. And by doing this, he paved the way for us to love as he loves. On the cross, Jesus made it possible for us to love our enemies because he loved his enemies by loving us sinners, by loving us rebels, by loving us the ungodly, he brings salvation to us. Jesus on the cross prayed, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. That's a prayer for you and me. On the cross, Jesus blessed us. On the cross, Jesus was stricken by us, and yet he loved us. On the cross, Jesus was stripped naked for us, And he died for us. On the cross, Jesus forgave us. On the cross, Jesus took our rebellion and our sin and our brokenness and put it to death on the cross and gave us his infinite giving love. This is the good news, friends. This is the great and sweet exchange of grace, as the reformers called it. He, Jesus Christ, has loved his enemies so that his enemies can become his beloved friends, his beloved brothers and sisters, his beloved bride. Jesus' command to love our enemies both reveals that we cannot save ourselves. It's impossible. And that Jesus is the one who does. Friends, the commandment reveals the gospel. Because of the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have a new life, a new heart, and a new way of living. What was impossible in our slavery to sin is now possible in faith in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ, you are made brand new. You are sons of the Most High. When we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our our whole life is reoriented from self to God. The primary end goal of the Christian life is communion and life with God. By faith, now by sight in the eschaton. Everything else should be seen in light of this goal. The sacrifices, the pain, the struggle, the being hated, being abused, the being scorned. Loving without return. All this is nothing in comparison to loving Christ, loving God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The more we pursue God, the more we love God, the more we surrender to him, the more we love others, the more we will do the good works that God has prepared for us, the more we will love our enemies. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis again, or first time, The more you love God, the more love for neighbors and enemies will flow out. But if you try to love your neighbors on your own, you won't be loving anyone. So friends, as we are gospeled, as we hear again the good news of Jesus Christ, we pursue God more and more. The more we realize that, that in Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are in Christ. We are made new. We are new creations. We begin to see the world through a different set of eyes, through the eyes of Christ, through the lens of the gospel. Your enemies, that person I asked you to hold in your mind and heart this morning, those who hate you, those who are indifferent to you, those who persecute you, they are broken, hurt, hurt, sinful, rebellious people who Jesus died for and loved with an infinite love, the same love he loves you with. And as you begin to see your enemies through the lens of the gospel, you can love them as Christ has loved you. You will be revealed as children of the Most High. In Christ, friends, you can pray for your enemy and love them with the same love that Christ has pursued you. In Christ, you can bless your enemy. In Christ, you can love your enemy the way that Jesus loved them as lost sheep in need of a shepherd. In Christ, you can serve and give to your enemy without expecting anything in return, because that is what Christ has given you. Friends, in, in Christ, we can pray for our enemy. We can pray for their highest good, which is to know Jesus Christ and to have a personal relationship with him. Friends, this is not idealism. This is not pie in the sky by and by. This is as real as the cross of Christ. This is the gospel. Christians should be known by their love and and especially their love of enemies. John Calvin said it this bluntly. Whoever shall, be, sh- shall wish to be accounted a Christian, let him love his enemies. If we want to be a witness for Christ, it isn't through Facebook posts, T-shirts, bumper stickers, music, Instagram photos, political marches, but selfless acts of unrelenting love for our enemies. Friends, I don't want to leave you this morning with, with a list of ways to love your enemy. I don't know who that is for you. I don't know the complexity of your situation. I'm not really interested in whether you check the box of loving your enemy this week or not. If that is what we're doing, if we're just here to check a box, show God that we're obeying his law, we're back in legalism. We are doing it wrong. Loving your enemies is about a total renovation of the heart. It is a habit that the Holy Spirit gives us and forms in us through everyday circumstances. We learn to love our enemy on the ground by loving God, loving our neighbors, and loving those who hate us, and then doing the next right thing, even when you don't feel like it, especially when you don't feel like it. So friends, be encouraged and press further on to the goal of Christ and his kingdom. Learning to love your enemies will take time. The life of of the Christian, the life of sanctification is a lifelong project. You will fail, but don't let failure be a step backwards. Let failure be a place of learning, a place to keep running. So friends, let us keep running in step with our Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. Look to him, imitate him ask for his grace and forgiveness and see the world through his eyes and love your enemies as he loves you And friends as we do this as we live this life of grace and of sanctification we'll slowly begin to look like him to reflect his glory the more we pursue God the more we become the sweet world changing aroma of Christ Let it be, Lord. Let it be. Let us pray. Abba, Father, we praise you and thank you for your gospel. We thank you that on our own we cannot do anything, but in you we can love our enemies and love you. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Sanctify us. Make us more like your Son. Help us to love those who hate us. Help us to love that person that we've held in our hearts this morning the way that you have loved us. Pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.